Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Anybody ever seen some people really organized without God? I mean, just organize it. I mean, they, they, got, they, got, they got a plan. It's organized. They have people. They have resources. Just without God. They, the one piece they're missing is the most important piece. They're missing God. But all they have is what they've come up with. What they've come up with sounds good. Some of it's actually, you know, in keeping with the word, you know, but they're, they're moving without God because the results are going to be terrible. They're going to be doing a right thing a wrong way and get a wrong result twice. Showing mercy to people who don't deserve it can be hard, if not impossible. We often find ourselves judging others and deciding who deserves mercy and who doesn't. Today, Pastor Bill reminds us that no one deserves mercy, and God still gives it to all of us. Whether you're a Christian or not, none of us deserve to be forgiven, and through Jesus, we can be set free. Instead of spending your time getting bitter over others being shown undeserved mercy, follow Jesus and be forgiven. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Judges chapter 20 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. We're in Judges 20. We're almost at the end of the book. We got 20 and 21. And so, you know, we went through all of the judges, the persons, the personalities that were judges. And we looked at how that they were used by God at their time in history to deliver Israel from their oppressors. Uh, we saw that the cycle of Israel was that they would be in bondage. They would, no, they would be free, doing well, enjoying life. And in that season where they were doing well, they would fall into idolatry. Um, the nations around them that they, that they hadn't kicked out like they were supposed to in the book of Joshua uh, were practicing idol, idolatrous worship. They would stumble into worshiping idols and in doing so would create uh, a separation between them and their God. Uh, they would bring themselves into disfavor with the Lord and God would allow enemy enemies to come against them. God would allow the, 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 the tribes around them that were pagan and didn't believe. They would come against them, take them captive. And it seemed like every time for different measures of time, but it was in captivity, in brokenness, in difficulty, that they would then cry out to the Lord and the Lord would send a deliverer. And that's why even as we pray for all this going on elsewhere, sometimes you see things, you're like, man, that's just terrible. I want it to not happen. But then, you know, you hear testimony after these events and you hear people that it was through this that they came to the Lord. It was through the brokenness in my health that I got my soul saved. It was through losing all of this that I, I found true riches in Christ. And so, you know, I've become, I've come to a place where I'm like, God knows what he's doing, you know? And so for them, you know, it would come through brokenness. They would finally turn. I've told us each time, because we're supposed to learn from this. Amen? Amen. One thing we need to learn from this is in particular, when things are going well, everybody here knows what to do when it goes bad. Everything knows what everybody here knows what to do when the bottom falls out. But when things are going well, that's when that's just more dangerous. That's when I have to see that I still need him. I still need to have a desperation for God when everything is going OK. And so uh, for anybody here that's in a particularly blessed season of life, be careful in a blessed season that you honor the Lord and glorify the Lord. And it's possible. It's not, it's not like it's impossible to bless God in a good time. Just make sure that in your good times, that's what you do. Because they made the error every time things got good. And we probably all know people like this, that when everything is going well, they don't, you don't see them in fellowship. 
You don't see them. They start to, you see them, they become a once a monther. You know, they start kind of falling back and they're enjoying the good life. And then when the bottom falls out, you see them every week, two, three times. And it's like, man, don't be like that with the Lord. You know, just go ahead and be, be consistent in your relationship with God. So look at chapter 20, verse 1. So all the children of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, as well as from the land of Gilead. And the congregation gathered together as one man before the Lord at Mizpah. Now I might note, all the 12 tribes come together except one tribe, tribe of Benjamin, who was a tribe that was in charge of the town that this thing took place at. They don't show up. And the leaders of all the peoples, verse 2, all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel had gone to Mizpah, and the children of Israel said, tell us, how did this wicked deed happen? So the Levite, the husband of the woman who was murdered, asked, I'm sorry, answered and said, he's going to give his rendition of the story. I want you to note how, how soft he is on some aspects of the truth. It says, my concubine and I went to Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. And the men of Gibeah rose against me and surrounded the house at night because of me. They intended to kill me, but instead they ravished my concubine so that she died. Now, he doesn't mention that he threw her out to them, uh, that she was offered as a sacrifice like I said last week, to save his own butt, quite literally. Uh, he doesn't mention any of those things. He doesn't mention why they were in the area, where his concubine had been, why they were passing through. Verse 6, he says, So I took hold of my concubine, I cut her in pieces, and I sent her throughout all the territory of the inheritance of Israel because they committed lewdness and outrage in Israel. Verse 7, Look, all of you are children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here and now, and I want you to note in verse seven, a big deal. It's a big deal. They the, the command is they tell everybody there. Look, everybody, you got the letter. You guys just heard what happened. Look, you are the children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here and now give your advice and your counsel here. And now who are they failing to seek? God, right? They're saying. You got sinners that are not doing well governing themselves. They're not living according to the word of God. It isn't just the tribe of Benjamin that is responsible for this great wicked thing. In general, the children of Israel are not honoring God. They're not living the way they're supposed to be living. And he says, hey, give your counsel. And they should have sought the Lord. They should have prayed. But they say, hey, guys, give us your counsel. Let's, let's have a, a meeting of our minds together. Let's get counsel. Let's take counsel from one another. And I want you to note. That when people gather together to take counsel from one another, the Lord lets them do it. God doesn't intervene. God doesn't step in and say, hey, hey, wait, guys, ask me. I'll answer. God lets you go, go right on ahead with your meeting. And he's going to let them have their meeting. He's going to let them come to their conclusions. He's going to let them flesh it out. They will eventually cry out to him. God knows that. And so one thing that we can take from this, that when things are difficult, when things are going awry, when things are you're looking at things that are just un unimaginable, um, the place that we want to get very comfortable looking as believers is up. We want, it, we want it to be our norm that we say, man, let's look to the Lord. Let's cry out to God. When things are going awry at home for you, if things are happening in your family, if things are happening in your marriage, if things are happening with your kids or in your work, you want your knee-jerk response to be, I'm going to pray about this. Let me cry out to the Lord because I don't know what's going on. Sometimes I, I do this at times. There are times where, you know what, I haven't heard anything from God yet. 
So I don't really want to hear from 10 people. I really just want God to get first dibs. Sometimes that's what we do. Sometimes you guys need to say, you know what? I'm not going to ask 10 friends. I'm going to just I'm gonna ask the Lord. And I'm going to be quiet. And I'm going to listen and see what the Lord said. I'm going to start there. Um, there's wisdom in crying out to the Lord. It's, it's one of the privileges we have as believers. Um, they are distant from the Lord. They aren't walking with the Lord like they need to. And so they're not, their mind doesn't quickly go to the right thing, which is to cry out to the Lord. They're like, hey, let's take counsel. for one another. Everybody here, give your advice. Verse eight, so uh, a bunch of men together give their advice. They come up with what they're going to do. So all the people arose as one man. I want you to note that they're united. Unity is powerful. But unity is power. Is, is, unity is powerful no matter who the people are that unite, first of all. And if you're united around the wrong conclusions or if you're united around the wrong, it's still powerful. It's just going to be powerfully wrong. So if you get people united together, we're all of one heart and one mind to do this wrong thing. It's, it's going to just be really wrong. It's going to be a lot of people doing the wrong thing, powerfully doing the wrong thing. You look at the, the what Hitler accomplished. He was a powerful leader. He was an effective. I mean, that guy is the epitome of leadership. He got people bought into his vision and they they carried out his vision with with accuracy, exactly what he wanted. But it was a horrific thing that he, the vision that he had it was to wipe out the people of God. You know, that was the, to wipe out the Jews. That was his vision it was horrific. But he was a great leader in terms of what it meant to be a leader. Leaders have people that follow them and execute what they want. He was great at that. Horrific in what he accomplished. Amen. And so they come together. They're all of one mind. They're united. Verse eight again, it says, so all the people arose as one man saying, none of us, will, none of us will go to his tent, nor will any turn back to his house. Now, this is the thing which we will do to Gibeah. We will go up against it by lot. We will, and I want you to note that this is all that we will. We will do this. We will do this. We will do this. They ain't get this from God, but they've come up with what they're going to do. We will take 10 men out of every tribe, uh, every hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, a hundred out of every a thousand and a thousand out of every 10,000. And to make provisions for the people that when they come to Gibeah in Benjamin, they may repay all the vileness that they have done in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered together against the city, united together as one man. So they said, this is what we're going to do. Everybody's going to, they organize. They said, who's going to go where? It's going to be this many people from each tribe. They're going to go up and they had order to what they were going to do. They had all this figured out. And I want you to know this. They had all this figured out without God. Anybody ever seen some people really organized without God? I mean, just organize it. I mean, they, they, got, they, got, they got a plan. It's organized. They have people. They have resources. Just without God, they're, they're, the one piece they're missing is the most important piece. They're missing God. So all they have is what they've come up with. What they've come up with sounds good. Some of it's actually, you know, in keeping with the word, you know, but they're they're moving without God because the results are going to be terrible. They're going to be doing a right thing a wrong way and get a wrong result twice. And so verse 12 says, then the tribes of Israel sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin saying, what is this wickedness that has occurred among you? Now, therefore, deliver up the men, the perverted men who are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. But the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. So they first come up to Benjamin. And I think this is a right thing that they did. They got up to Benjamin and said, hey, guys, what is this wickedness that y'all have allowed up here where y'all are living at? That y'all got homosexuals 
chasing after men that come into town and they rape a woman to death. And what is this going on in Benjamin? What guy, what's going on here? Deliver up to us the men that did this. Because why? Because the law of God said if you did that, what should happen to you? Death penalty. There was a death penalty for rape. There was a death penalty for homosexual behavior. He said, deliver them up that they may die, that we may put away the sin from Israel. Let me first explain a couple things. I want to explain the death penalty because some people will look at that today and they think that's so harsh. That doesn't seem right. Why would a God of love allow for that? And I'm going to tell you why. In that day, if just like today, it's no different today. When there was death for a crime, that death didn't it, did, it didn't happen, and if it did, it was, it was put away. It didn't grow. When the penalty for it was death, because God knows that people love themselves. Yes. And in our culture right now, in the United States of America, you could rape a child or a woman or another person multiple times and get out. And they'll put you in prison, put you in rehab, put you out. And you could do it again. Put you back in prison, put you in a special program, even give you protective custody to make sure the people in jail don't get you while you're there. And then you get out, you get to go into a group home and try it again. You can do this two, three, four times in the United States of America and continue to get out and have a, have a chance to do it again, right? There are men that have been released and they're being released saying, I, don't, I can't promise I'm never gonna do it again, but I wanna try. And they get released, right? Now, you take the same crime and there are places in the world where you die one first time. They have no instances of it. None. And you're thinking, are the people different? No. The penalties are different. It's like, I would talk about this Sunday, it's like a house where anybody that grew up in a house where you got spanked for being disrespectful to adults. You look at kids, I look at kids today disrespect adults, and I'm like, oh, I, I, I never, I never could do that. I never, I don't know what that's like. You know, I, never, I don't know what it's like to say no to my mom. You know, like, no. I wouldn't be here right now, you know? So you look at some of this stuff and it's like, I, why, how does that happen? Because you can. In houses where you can't, you don't. That's just the way it is. In cultures where you can't, you don't. And so the death penalty would rid, would rid Israel of a certain, there are certain sins that God said, I don't want this to permeate my people. And so the death penalty. And so if you do that, you die. What that does is twofold. One, you die. You won't be doing it anymore. The second thing it does is everybody that saw you die says, wow. Wow, if I felt tempted to do that, I'm going to find something else to do with myself because that, that, that's not, I'm not okay with, I don't want that to happen to me. And it, it, it cleanses a culture. I, I was able a few years back to go to a part of Jamaica where there's tribes in Jamaica that won their own independence during a war with Britain. And so they're not under Jamaican law. They have their own, uh, it's called the Maroons. They have, they, they govern themselves and I went on a, you know, I had a guy drove me and my dad, and my brother, we did a tour in there. It's a five hour drive through the bush. And I mean, when I say through the bush, you're in, once you get up in there, you're like, man, if they don't let us out, you ain't getting out. You know, like it's one way in and one way out. And we were in there and we're going down these roads and you're looking at all these brothers everywhere. It looks pretty hood. And I'm seeing kids walking. I'm seeing little girls walking. It's getting dark. And I remember I asked the guy, I said, is it safe for like the girls and the ladies here? They said, oh yeah. They said, you, no, no one touches our women. They said, nobody here will touch a woman. They said, if you touched a girl, you would never leave here. That you would, that, they said, that's a fact that if a man here touched one of these children or one of these, that you don't leave. You won't go home. You will die here. And, and, and they said that, that the community will come out. You will die. You will pay with your life today. Not tomorrow, not in the weekend. He said, so, so because of that, as you see the little girls running all free, I'm like, so they're free. 
They're free to be little girls. They're not afraid of men grabbing them because that culture, those men say, we're not having that over here. That's somebody's daughter and they're not going to have it. And I look at that and I think as civilized as we are, these people are living in the bush. Um, I, I went to eat, right? They had, they had what we use for a, anybody got a screen door on your house? The screen door was the grill that they were cooking chicken on. We all civilized, but their kids are safer than ours, right? So some people look at what God's word said. They have all kind of hard time. I don't know how God, God of love killed people. There's some things that I feel like today, if there were death penalty for it, we wouldn't have it. But we have so much of it because there is no consequence. You can do it three, four, five, ten times and, and, and then go to jail and do it there, too. So, you know, you know, so so anyway, God, God would have had them put to death for that crime. And they're trying to see that happen. But the Benjamites say they wouldn't turn them over. So the second part of verse 13, they said, send these men out that we might they might die for what they've done. And verse 13, the second part says, but the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brother and the children of Israel. Now. Here's what's wrong with that. It's bad enough that the crime happened, but I'm going to tell you this. It is always an error to stand with those who oppose God. It's always going to be wrong. It'll always be wrong to stand with people that are opposing God, particularly if you're standing with them against those that are trying to stand for the Lord. That's Benjamin positions himself here with the perverse men. They're saying, we're not going to turn them over to you. We're going to protect them. Um, you can't come in here and just have them, even though that's what the word says should happen. We're going to protect them. You can't have them. So there's going to be a war that breaks out. But that's the basis of the war. The Israelites got together. They didn't pray. They said, hey, you know, what? let's go up there and, and we're going to tell the Benjamites to deliver those men over that they might die. The Benjamins, the Benjamites say, no, we ain't doing it. And so there's going to be war as a result. Now, I'm in no way suggesting, you know, that we. You know, as believers, New Testament saints, that we go out and kill people that are, y'all understand this is a different era. Amen? I want to make sure, I want my leading Bible said, and I said, well, I have one of those in my family, so let me get the blade sharpened up. You know, I'm in no way suggesting that we do that. In this era, under the Old Covenant, Old Testament, that was the requirement. They were, uh, the Israelites were to keep the areas that God gave them pure and holy. And one of the ways they did that was when particular sins were done, God said that should be dealt with by death so that that doesn't continue to happen. It doesn't permeate our culture. That's not New Testament. We're we're not. That's not our. We don't govern it that way. I just want to put that out there in case anybody was felt like they heard it at Bible study. So you go ahead. I don't, I don't want to be responsible for that kind of error. So moving on, verse um, 14 now. It says, instead, the children of Benjamin gathered together from their cities in Gibeah to go to battle against the children of Israel. And I want you to know how sad this is, that instead of turning over these perverted men, they said, hey, guys, get, get, the, get the troops together. Now, Benjamin was one of the stronger troops uh, militarily. Uh, they were known for their military might. And so they said, hey, get our, get our troops together. We're not, we're not giving these guys up. And I was pondering that, like, why would they hide it? Why would they not give them up? Why would they not surrender these guys over? And a couple things. Because of the level of boldness that was there, it looks like it had permeated their culture. We live in a pretty perverse time right now, but I don't think anybody here has ever had a visitor and had people beating on your door talking about sending them out here. It hasn't gotten that bad. So... 
it had digressed. At this point, these people were doing the exact same thing that God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah for. So just consider that the, the, the people of God had fallen to the level of living of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, the people of God, a tribe of Benjamin, one of the tribes of Israel. That's how they were living. And so um, it's possible that they didn't want to deliver them over because um, maybe had permeated their whole culture. Maybe all the people there that were in charge were like, well, no, that means I got sons and I got nephews and I got you know people that are, that are in my family that are part of this. And so, no, rather than deliver them over, we're going to protect them. And I would just say to us that there could be things that I've known believers that try to lessen their stance on particular sins because it hit their home, um, because it's in my family, because it's here. And so, yeah, maybe not. Maybe it's OK. And so you need to know that if God says something is wrong, even if somebody with your last name is partaking of it, it's still wrong. Amen. And we have to hold up his standard, period. Uh, I can't change God's standard to accommodate my fallen family. Uh, God's standard is God's standard. Do we love everybody? Absolutely. Do we share the gospel with everybody? We had better be sharing the gospel. That's what God wants us to be doing. Um, but don't make wrong right and don't protect it. Don't don't keep it. You know, um, I have known um, where, I, where I worked before. I had a situation there where one parent actually shielded from the child's dad who lived in the home that their kid was moving in that direction. Mom found out, she knew, she was like, well, this could be between us. And she allowed that to permeate, that broke up their marriage. That young man now is in his 20s and he's fully out there giving over. And I look at that mom and think, you're gonna be responsible to God for that. You should have told his dad. His dad sensed it, um, his dad asked about it, they had conversations about it, he was made to feel like he was judging and wrong and it's like now the, 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 the sad thing is that kid is the suffer, he's gonna suffer. Right. He's going to suffer for that. And so, um, you know, I don't believe it's God's heart to hate or be mean. Uh, I think we all know churches where you can look at their attitudes towards certain sins and just think, man, that's not God's heart. Because God still loves the people. Um, God still cares for the people. And what do we do for them? We have to love them and share with them. We have to love them and share the gospel. But, uh, you know, I, I'm just going to give my own experience. The question that I get hit with often there's a young man that walks back and forth up here. And the question is, you know, it, it comes down to this. Are you saying that I'm going to hell for what I'm doing? Is that what you're saying? That 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 seems for some people to be like, just don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. Don't want to hear that that's going to be the penalty. And, you know, the reality is look, I, I tell people this. I take it back to the gospel. The reality is, if you don't give your life to Christ, if you don't believe in the gospel, right, no matter what. No matter what sin you may be partaking of, you might be partaking of alcoholism, you know, drug addict, heterosexual, sexual sin, homosexual. If you, if you don't receive the good news of the gospel, you will die and go to hell. If you receive the gospel, you will be forgiven for all your sins. God's spirit will come live inside you and begin a process to sanctify you and set you apart and you will be saved. That's it. So I don't need to necessarily deal with your particular outburst. You know, this is. This is how your unbelief is manifesting your life. It manifests in my life in a different way. That's neither here nor there. What are you doing with Jesus? And I would just tell us that that's a great place to take people that they like to hone in on, you know, the church's belief or opinion about their particular thing. But our belief is not that that sin itself will send you to hell. We believe that you won't go to heaven for rejecting the gospel. Amen. Amen. And rejecting the gospel may manifest in one man's life and that he's womanizing. 
someone else's life that they love stuff, someone else's life that they fall into some sexual perversion, Jesus would save them all. We're so glad you joined us today on A Transforming Word, where Pastor Bill has been working his way through the eventful book of Judges. In this book, you hear about men and women of valor and courage who were willing to risk their lives, but put their faith in God to the test. Gideon is just one that comes to mind as he asked God to show him what he should do, and God showed up mightily. God delights in seeing your faith go big. Do you believe God for big things, or do you sink into believing that it's too difficult for God? God just waiting to see you ask and trust Him for things in faith. Maybe you'll have a faith story that equals some of these people in the book of Judges. A Transforming Word is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. If you're in the area, we love to see you in person. We have services on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. and a midweek service on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. You can also find us online at calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. Under the teaching tab, you'll find links to our messages. While you're at the website, why not download the mobile app? You'll get access to all our messages so you can have them on the go. If you haven't found what you're looking for on our website, feel free to call us at 310-245-4811. That's 310-245-4811. Our time with you is up for today, but thanks for listening. We look forward to next time as we hear a transforming word.